Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft, and I'm here with Sarah Masarek, and we're with Tanya Arnold and Sarah Kim today to talk about what we've been reading. Yay! (laughs) Friends, you might have seen on social media that last weekend... Diane, Tanya, and I had the great joy and privilege of hanging out together for four days. <laughs> and uh, it was the first time that Diane and I have ever actually met. <laughs> so it, it was also the first time we've ever met Tanya, but that's a little less surprising <laughs> since Diane and I have been right. friends for almost a decade. <laughs> so we, we're not sure if we made the right choice or the wrong choice on Saturday night. We kind of feel like we should have been recording our complete nonsense in the hotel room mm. because we think, yeah, no. <laughs> Names would be changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> <laughs> and Tanya for like a second said we really should read Keeper of the Lost Cities together <laughs> well I did just because we keep bringing it up and I think we should be able to it, we're doing it from memory mm-hmm. and me quite a few years yeah. ago and I think if we really want to give really good clarifying information to moms we might need to solidify some details that was my thought process. Yes, but our position is unchanged. And the more that we talked about it together on Saturday, we were like, oh, it is even more scandalous than we remembered. And the more I was saying, nope, nope, not nope, going to do not it. Not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, friends, today we want we welcome you back into our reading life, as we say every month, because it is true. This is one of our most favorite things to do. And this weekend, I gave two talks at a homeschool conference. And the first one was about teen book clubs, but the second one was about our reading life. And it was really such a wonderful opportunity to talk to moms about the benefit of having other moms to read with and that we can really rest in the Holy Spirit when we're working to understand our world and our relationships and our faith better by reading with a friend. And the more that we do this, the more my personal reading game is getting upped again. I've got too many things to talk about today because we talk about so many things together and then I'm like, I've got to go chase that, but that leads to this, which leads to that. But oh, I took a side turn over here and I've been reading just a ton. And that's in large measure because you girls just keep tempting me into reading things that are not on my list of things to read. (laughs) No one's apologizing. I'm not complaining either. (laughs) If you heard us speak or heard me speak this weekend and you met us at the conference, first of all, we would love to know that. It would be so fun for you to comment or send us an email or reach out. So friends, one of the things that we talked about in my presentation, I I gave my presentation and I kept it relatively short and then opened it up to Q&A. And one of the questions that came up and has come up every time we've had this conversation with anybody is, great, fine, you've convicted me. I need to find a friend and I need to read with her. But how do you, in a meaningful way, make that work? And so one of the things that we suggested is that you and your friends might enjoy, you and your reading buddy might enjoy listening to this together and making your book lists from some of the things we've read and then coming and finding us in Mighty Networks, which is the BiblioGuides online community. There's a Plumfield Reads group, and we could go in there and talk about books that you've read, that we've read, or ones that you think we might like based on what we've read. And you and your reading buddy can 
you can have your own thoughts about it and tell us how wrong we were (laughs) or give us other recommendations. So we encourage you to, if it's helpful, use our book clubs and use this podcast to support your reading buddy relationship with your reading buddy. So that said, Sarah Kim, when you talked about when Hitler stole Pink Rabbit the last two months, I had never heard of it till you mentioned it. And now everywhere we go, we found it. (laughs) It was like jumping off shelves. And and Diane even bought it at the used book sale at the convention, right, Diane? Yes. And I wouldn't have known to pick it up a couple months ago. Except because of you. Mm -hmm. That's so great. (laughs) I hope you enjoy it. Me too. So Sarah, what are you reading right now? So last time we talked, I was reading two books, The Sound of Music by Maria Augusta Trepp, and I have not finished (laughs) probably about three quarters of the way through. I'm still really enjoying it, but it's kind of slowed down a bit in pace and I just haven't picked it up in a bit. And so I need to do that and finish it. (laughs) They're in America now and touring and making a life for themselves and overcoming the challenges and hardships of being an immigrant and the new language and trying to figure out how to make their way in American culture, which is very different from the European culture that they're used to. So I'm still really enjoying it and I need to finish it, but I haven't yet. And I was also listening to Byzantium by Stephen Lawhead, and I did finish that. Audio is so much easier to it finish. It is, yeah. And I loved it. It was so good. Oh, yay! I would say it's definitely, last time I said it was definitely an adult read, maybe late teens. Some other things came up in it, but I thought it was really well done. The only kind of complaint I had about it was he at one point the monk well, a large part of the second half of the book, the story revolves around him like losing his faith. And it was so sudden. It felt a little bit unnatural that, you know, through the whole like first part of the book, his faith seems so strong. And then something which doesn't seem like that impactful as a reader happens. And he just like does a 180 almost. And sure, he's been through a lot in the story, but it was just, it felt a bit, I don't know, a bit unrealistic, but it's definitely a major plot point and it affects like the rest of the storyline and it's resolved in the end. And it's like a really beautiful story and fascinating. He just the many different cultures and all of that. So yeah, I do recommend it. I thought it was really good. That's so fascinating because I felt like his Friar Tuck character in the Robin Hood trilogy was maybe the most scandalous of his characters in a way. And so I wonder, it just, it makes me wonder what is going on with Lawhead and his idea about men and their faith. Like, is there, does he have a prejudice against them? Would you say that this character, does this character, well, you can't give anything away, but does it resolve satisfactorily or not? It does. Yeah, very much so. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And I think he has, at least, you know, in my reading, it seemed like he has a lot of respect for Mm -hmm. the monks and their but he also like explores you know like the monks challenging of things okay so in the second half of the book he is staying with this I'm not exactly sure what to call it but he was like a Muslim prince or something like that and falls in love with the niece I think it was so he is actually willing at that point because he's pretty much lost his faith to convert to Islam Mm -hmm. so that's just a whole other interesting part of the storyline interesting uh, where he like sees their faith and has to make choices about it you know because he's yeah. in love is like sure wow <laughs> interesting anyway yeah it is interesting but 
that doesn't end up working out. So, <laughs> <laughs> so fascinating. Now, is Byzantium one in a trilogy or is it just an, a one-off standalone? I think it's just a one-off. Okay, cool. So it's a little bit less of a commitment. If you want to sample Stephen Lawhead, you can do that rather than jumping into the Hood, Robin Hood trilogy. <laughs> yeah, it's a long book, but it's, it's just one. Very cool. So Sarah, after our podcast aired last month, Sherry Early from Marriott Homeschool Library chimed in right away and said, I love Stephen Lawhead. I'm so glad you guys are telling people about him. And so I thought it's just really nice to know that a lot of other readers who share a lot of our values also really loved him and are encouraging other mamas to pick him up because he is really exciting. Oh, yay. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, so two other books to tell you about this month. Uh, one, I've been reading aloud to Kwanu. It's one that I picked up during Living Book Press's last sale. It's called Let's Explore the British Isles, mm. a geographic reader, which I think most people would probably use in their homeschool if they want to doing a study of the UK or if you live in the UK. I mean, it would be perfect. But we're using it because we are going to go visit the UK. We leave in a week. And so I just wanted to give kind of an introduction to the country and it's really fun it's got it's it's recently written so it's not like a republished book and so it's all up to date and it's got maps that are illustrated it's got photographs and each section just goes through like a different part of the country and talks about the cities and the geography and some of the people and it's really fun yay so i've been reading a lot that aloud in the evenings to kind of prepare for our trip and is this one of Anthony's new releases? Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it just came out a couple months ago, I think. Awesome. And it has kind of like a watercolor cover, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, that's the one. Cool. So this is by Caroline Walker, and it's published by Living Book Press. Yep. Awesome. That would probably be really helpful for people who are reading Swallows and Amazons, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I don't know. It might be. I'm trying to remember, we listened to Swallows and Amazons, probably the first three or four books. And I don't remember them talking about specific locations that you could look up on a map. I feel like it was more generically described. Oh, okay. I'm only in the first one. I don't have the best memory about details. As you can tell from my trying to tell you about books, I'm like, well, I think it was this <laughs> and that, even though like I just listened to it like a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> You're making the yeah, connections apologies. you need to make. That's all that really matters. Yeah. <laughs> now we're going to totally edit this out, but there's a real part of me that wants to keep that exact thing in so that moms understand that you don't always have to have perfect recall of every detail. <laughs> Well, maybe that will make them understand the way I describe books. <laughs> so if you want me to, I can leave it in. It's totally fine. <laughs> it's a lot like the way I do. <laughs> oh, good. I'm not alone. <laughs> no. I just also wanted to jump in and say, I think this idea also is one of the reasons it can be beneficial to read slowly mm -hmm. and take a lot of time. And it's also why we reread. Not only because we'll get more out of it, but because we become more familiar with the story. Amen. And there's such power in that. And I used to really struggle with rereading because I feel like there's only so much lifetime available to mm -hmm. us. And there are so many books and I didn't want to waste time going back to something and, and missing something new. Yeah. Not getting to them all. Yeah. So, and it still is kind of a struggle in my mind of if, if I reread something, I'm potentially giving something else up. Yes. Um, but if I reread something, I may go so much deeper and get so much more out of it. Amen. But then how do I know what to reread? <laughs> so 
there's a lot here just in this little conversation of of how we read and how we prioritize what we read and just the way the human brain does work and how it does can recall some things and some things can get really fuzzy. So it's interesting. I think this is a great place where there shouldn't be a rule. Now, there may be a rule of thumb, which is that I think C.S. Lewis said every other book should be a reread. I know in Potato Peel Pie, we used to have this conversation all the time. And we said, if you can't handle every other book, maybe every third book or every fourth book is a reread. But, you know, I, I feel like moms feel like there's too many rules on how to do things. And if they don't satisfy those rules, suddenly they lack the, they, they, they don't think they're doing it right. So it doesn't count. So they're not going to do any of it. And I think it's really that if the spirit is suggesting a reread to you, you should know that that's an invitation into a feast and reread it. And if a book, you've read it, you, you're not that it wasn't so compelling that you decided you needed to reread it then that's okay too. You can walk away from a book. But when a book is presenting itself to you as a potential reread, I don't think you should feel any guilt at all about not picking up a new book. I think we should in, in, let the spirit guide our reading and and go into that territory because it's, a, it's crazy how many times a reread is exactly what you need in this moment because of something you might not have gotten the first time that you need this time around. Or it will, it's laying the groundwork for the thing you're going to read next. And you wouldn't know that. So I always say be moody and be spirit led. (laughs) So we're never going to get through all the books anyway. No sense trying. Well, and I can't speak for Sarah, but one of the reasons I don't remember all the details is that I I don't see everything, but I come Mm -hmm. away with impressions. And so Mm -hmm. that means I couldn't write a book report but I do still know what the story mm-hmm. was about, and I understand historical settings and things like that. I just can't tell you all the details. It's still in there, and I and I can't say that that's wrong because that's the way I've just always read. So, and I'm probably told to change. Well, I've read Pride and Prejudice maybe a dozen times, and I still don't know the name. Which Aunt Gardner? Which one's Aunt Gardner? I still don't know. And I've read the book twelve <laughs> times, and I've seen the movie every six to nine months. I still can't figure out the ants because I, some, of the, some of those details are just not consequential. Mm. You don't need to be a Rolodex of information. Yeah, that's definitely how I read. I come away with impressions, and especially if it's an audiobook where I tend to be listening when I'm doing other things. And so I'm, I'm listening, I'm like absorbing it. But if I if it's a book where I'm listening to the audio and I've sort of like let it wash over me and then I'm like, I really need to go deeper, then I'm going to pick up the actual book yeah. and read it and go through it more slowly, like Tanya was saying. But for a book like Byzantium, where it's just, it's an experience, an enjoyable experience of his adventures and it's a great storyline and it's a, about his faith. Like I just found it so fascinating and mm. enjoyable to listen to that I, yeah, if I forgot certain details, it, it doesn't matter. That's just the way it is. And that's actually how my brain works in general. So I will take in a lot of information and come to a decision about something. And then like a week later, someone will say to me, like, why do you think that? And I'm like, I don't. I don't know. I I cannot put it into words. (laughs) Like (laughs) I have the impression I made it. I made I remember the decision why or I remember what I decided, but I don't remember exactly why. (laughs) (laughs) I can't I can't like tell you all my logical process back to you. I do think, though, like Charlotte Mason talked about the importance of narration mm-hmm. as part of an education. And I don't think the the need or the benefit of narration ever goes away. 
And that's why we have these book clubs. Yes, and in essence, yes. we're we're coming together and we're narrating, maybe not exactly, you know, for example, reading two or three chapters and then trying to tell those two or three chapters back. But the essence of an idea of the book and the impressions we had, we're trying to essentially narrate those and share those ideas yes. and discuss those ideas. And once you've had a book discussion, whether that's maybe you're just trying to share with your spouse or mm-hmm. a friend who hasn't read the book and you just... You want someone else to maybe go read it and love it like you loved it (laughs) to feel what you felt. Or if you're coming together because you've all read the book, those experiences help settle it in your mind and in your heart in a way that you that you won't necessarily forget as easily. So it's another beautiful reason to have a reading partner or be in a book club or just have someone who is willing to listen. (laughs) So you can share what you've read. And if you don't have somebody to talk to, you can come talk to us for real. Like we genuinely would love to chat with you. Mm -hmm. Come and find us. Find us on our social media or find us in the BiblioGuides online community. It's, um, It's good for us, too, to be able to talk about books with people who have a different experience. As the four of us talk more and more, we're being shaped to think more and more alike in a way because of the books that we have shared. And so some things we might say or think might be grown out of our shared vernacular that may not actually might, might have a, you might have a different opinion on. And it would be fascinating to explore that too. Yeah. Or honestly journal. Yes. Journal your thoughts is another great way. Cause it's, an, it's a written narration. Mm-hmm. I find I'm often really surprised even going back and listening to old podcast episodes, I'm surprised by my own thoughts. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Are you guys? I'm like, wow. Oh, that was really good. Like, I'm, yeah. surprised by the th- <laughs> right. I'm surprised by the things I thought and said and shared. Yeah. And I, it's, I know it's odd, but I feel like I learn sometimes from myself yes. things that I kind of, <laughs> do you guys do that or is it just that me? It's <laughs> totally all of us, I'm that. sure. <laughs> but that, that is the point too, right? This is why so many generations have kept some form of a journal, a commonplace journal, a diary, because it is kind of staggering what our brain is capable of and then how quickly our brain is capable of forgetting it. But that doesn't make it less Mm -hmm. valuable. And so we need to capture. And if we can capture in any way, we can then go back and revisit that and enjoy it. I was actually just watching a video by Andrew Pudwa right before coming on here. And he said very often when he's washing dishes, he'll watch these short little Instagram videos or short little YouTube videos. And he said, and he'll set it to repeat. So he'll, it'll just keep playing and he'll listen to it three times or four times. And he said, that's something in Amer- as Americans, we don't do a lot. We don't repeat things a lot. But he said, you know, one of the things that we know in classical learning is that in order to learn, you have to repeat. Repetition is the mother of education. And so being able to repeat an idea again and again allows you to think about it in many different ways and make more meaningful connections. So there you go, Tanya. Go repeat, repeat, <laughs> learning <it>. from yourself. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a um, interesting side conversation, but I think it's a good one. And so, Sarah, we hijacked what you were trying to say, though. <laughs> what else? Oh, no problem. I just have one yeah. other book to share with you. It's a picture book. Yay! Yeah. I found this because I was getting all of the books that Heritage Mom recommends for this upcoming school year. So the last several years, she basically does a blog post or several blog posts of her books that she's planning to use for the upcoming school year. 
And this year is 1900s modern history for a lot of Charlotte Mason homeschoolers. And because Heritage Mom is a partner guide on BiblioGuides, we add her books to the website. So I had a huge stack of her recommendations from the library. And one of them was this picture book called Ain't Nothing But a Man, My Quest to Find the Real John Henry. And I don't always read the books because she already recommends them. And so I'm kind of just putting the information on the website. Some of them are super long. But this one looked interesting and I, I sat down and read it and... I love it. <laughs> it's um, so you know John Henry is this folk hero mm-hmm. who is said to have competed against the steam engine when building the railroads, and he's a black man, and then he he ends up dying um, in this competition, mm. um, but he wins, but then he he dies, mm-hmm. and I guess it was kind of an open question like was this like is this folk tale based on a real person mm-hmm. or not? And the book is told as a first person narrative of the author explaining his research into trying to find out um, if there really was a John Henry and if so, like who he was and what was his story. And he incorporates, like he ended up using a lot of like the folk songs to try to get at pieces of truth and then investigate them. And uh, he does end up finding the real person. And like the ending is just really fascinating to hear like how, these folk songs were used actually to warn the other black people that were working on the railroads about like the dangers of the mining and how like he probably from like working in um, on the railroads and inhaling all of this dust, like a lot of them were dying and they were people that were put into the penitentiary often um, for bogus reasons, Mm. right? Like these, these black men who were put into prison for all kinds of, reasons and then sent to work on the railroads mm-hmm. and then were, were dying and they didn't quite understand why and so these folk songs were kind of warning them like don't go work on the railway if you can yeah. so it was it was just fascinating but what I loved it I loved the way it was told and it's the same reason why I love the scientist in the field books I don't know if you're familiar no. with those picture books but they are a collaboration usually between the scientist a photographer and an author And they tell the story of the particular scientist and how they do their work in the field. And I just really think it's interesting. It's almost like a work, you know, like giving a a child an opportunity to work alongside somebody and see like what their job is actually like. Like, what's it actually like being a snake scientist who studies snakes? (laughs) Or like, what's it actually like, you know, to study like um, one that we absolutely loved was the... um, tree kangaroos in Papua New Guinea. Oh. <laughs> What's it like for a scientist who studies those creatures? And so um, there's, there's a whole bunch of them now. We found them when Kwanu was probably six, seven at the library. And I just, I really love them. This one is just the author, uh, but told in a similar way. Like not just here's a history mm-hmm. book, but here's how a historian actually works. And it's like a whole mystery, oh, right? Yeah. Like rabbit trails like oh I got blocked oh the library wouldn't look at me let me look at these documents and then it took you know me going over and over and over again and finally got like a new librarian who's like oh sure yeah you can look at those and like how like they investigated and just finally he came to the truth and I I think that's just kind of a fascinating insight and really told from somebody who's passionate about their field and really helps you kind of be like oh 
maybe I would like to be a historian. Ooh, maybe I would like to be a scientist, right? Yeah. Like it's told from somebody who loves their job. And um, so anyway, are those, I thought that was a really excellent book. Are those books on biblioguides? Many of them are, not all of them, uh, but we would like to add more of great, them. Great, great. Um, author of this one is, sorry, it's covered up by the library sticker. <laughs> author of this one is Scott Reynolds Nelson. Oh, and it's with Mark Aronson. So I don't know if he maybe helped him write it or I didn't like to see who that person was, but <laughs> author and a co-author. Very cool. <laughs> well, we will definitely link to BiblioGuides and um, make a list of some of those for, for our readers to go check out. I'm definitely going to go check those out. Those sound great. Sound like Those would sound like they'd be really fun for my lending library. This is kind of an interesting segue because d- last month, Diane and I said that we've been on a Gary D. Schmidt uh, we've been diving deep into Gary D. Schmidt, and I have uh, been alternating between Gary D. Schmidt and Lloyd Alexander. That's been a very interesting reading thing. And I read Lizzie Bright and the Buckminster Boy by Gary D. Schmidt, and that is horrifying and incredible at the same time. And it took a long time for me to get into it. It really until until Lizzie is injured and they he's trying to get her back to her island and they see the whale. That's where it started to come together for me. So it took a little while, which is not, I I don't know. I feel like very often with Gary D. Schmidt, it comes together a little faster than that, but it definitely was a slow start. Um, But it is, well, itself is not a true story. It is solid historical fiction because it is based upon true, horrifying and really terrible events. Long story short is there was an island off of the coast of Maine, and this island had been populated first by Irish um, Irish slaves, I think, and then um, other peoples of that ilk. So peoples who were needing to get away from other circumstances, poor, marginalized, etc. And the predominant population on the island at this time are Black Americans, and the people who lived on the two vill- lived in the two villages that face this island do not want these people there at all. This is set in the early 1900s. They do not want those people there because they bring down the property value and they this is the prejudice. Okay, I'm not saying this. This is what they're saying. The the people in the town, they feel like these people bring down the property value because you're you're supposed to be looking out at the gorgeous water and instead what you see are slums. And they don't like what those people represent and who they are and all of the racism that was very, very, very commonplace at that time. And the horrifying true story is that these two villages really did seek the intervention of the state government to have these people removed. And the way that they had them removed was that they said that these people must be categorically insane to want to live somewhere where they are despised. And so therefore they were all put into insane asylums. Uh, horrible. And they didn't live. In fact, we find out that the, the people who were, who were sent to the insane asylums, the mental health hospitals, they, were, um, they only lasted a very short time, which begs a whole lot of other questions. And so Gary D. Schmidt captures this truly, ter- truly terrible event and humanizes it. As he says, um, there was there was a girl 
And she didn't have a name, so I gave her one. And that's Lizzie Bright. So it's, yeah, it's not like your standard Gary D. Schmidt middle school Wednesday Wars type book. Instead, it is written more in the voice of Johnny Tremaine or Witch of Blackbird Pond. It's, it has a very elegant writing style. It's, it sounds historically correct. And it does feature on a teenage boy. And it's a coming of age story for him. It is really exciting in places. Baseball features prominently. These are sort of hallmark Gary D. Schmidt things. The boy and his father have a challenging relationship. They navigate that. It results in some interesting things. There are these unlikely adult heroes who who come alongside our boy and um, inspire in him the, the virtue that he needs in order to mature. So Gary D. Schmidt loves to take teenagers, boys in excuse me, middle school and early teenagers, uh, boys in particular, when they're at the precipice between childhood and coming of age adolescence, this place where they begin to actively make choices about who they are going to be in the world and who their mentors are going to be and, and which things from their own homes they're going to keep and which ones they're going to reject. This is the story he tells so very well. And so this story is, you can see why this one was a Newbery, was it a winner or an honor? I think it was a winner. You can see why this is an award-winning book. It's, it is worth your time. And if so many Charlotte Mason mamas are doing the 1900s this year, American 1900s, I strongly recommend you get this one and check it out. Um, I do have a review for it that will be out probably before this podcast airs, and it's one that when Diane gets through it, depending on how she feels, it's one that may merit a book club discussion. It may not, but I'm pretty sure we're going to do something with this one because this one deserves more attention than it's getting. So that's one thing that I'm reading that I just got done reading this month. I'm also thrilled to be reading Lloyd Alexander. And my experience with Lloyd Alexander was probably like most people's Chronicles of Bourdain or some of his picture books. And that was kind of it. I never really thought there was that much more. Oh, my goodness gracious, he was prolific. And I actually like his other stuff better than Pridain. So I um, loved in particular, I loved The Iron Ring. It's a wonderful story that reminds me of Tonky Drocht and, uh, and Rudyard Kipling. It's set in India, and it's a young boy's coming-of-age hero story. He goes on a journey. And it has so much Indian culture and flavor to it, but it's a classic fairy tale, and it's also a morality story. So it's just really, really enchanting. And then I've been reading other stuff, but Tanya, I picked up Words on Fire. <laughs> and so because yes, you recommended it a couple months ago, and Sherry Early mm-hmm. looked at my tiny cat and saw that I didn't have it. So it just magically appeared in my mailbox. (laughs) And so I uh, read that and absolutely loved it. I was really impressed for a new modern author. I was impressed by the the depth of her writing. Um, I thought it reminded me in some ways of Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. It had that kind of same feeling for me. Even though mm-hmm. it's a you know different time, different place, but um, so now I am halfway through. Well, I want to pause you okay. for just a second, because just to kind of highlight as some of the things that takes place um, 
in the late 19th century mm-hmm. as Russia is invading Lithuania. Mm-hmm. It's a story I have never heard told before. Right. Right. And it, right. So it's unique. It's so unique. And and there are so many quotes from that book about the power of reading. Yes. And I think that's part of what made me think of Guernsey. It, it really felt like this book centers on the fact that the way that you destroy a generate or the way that you destroy a culture is by preventing the youngest generation from learning to read their own language and stories. If you can take away their stories, you can take away in one generation, you can take away their culture and replace it. Yeah. So this whole idea of just how important stories are and what you should be willing to sacrifice to save those stories Mm -hmm. and to keep those alive for your community and for your culture, it that just keeps not she's not like shoving it no. down your throat but she's gently inviting you to consider how important these are and one of the things we talk about is especially with these modern YA books how do they present the youth and how do they present the mm-hmm. adults and how do they present the interaction between the adults and the yes. youth and she does a great job it's so appropriate not having yeah. it's so good mm-hmm. i mean you have youth that have to rise mm-hmm. up and do things in these kinds of traumatizing times mm-hmm. that we often would not want our youth to have to be living right. through. But she also has adults that are showing up as excellent adults, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have adults that are idiots. No goodness. No. And we don't yeah. have kids. So it's just this. It's, and even our villains are complex. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yes. So even the Cossacks are still human. And they still have human stories. Mm-hmm. And and there are twists in there that don't feel like, oh, good, good job, author. You just threw your you threw your characters an unreasonable advantage there. No, no, no. It's like, yeah, I bet you could bribe the guard to do that. Oh, yeah. That guy? Yeah, there's something going on with him too. These are people living in wars mm-hmm. they didn't make. Right. So I think you could understand, so that you can go to the next story, because I think you're also going to rabbit trail here. When I read that book first, I thought, okay, is this a one-off, same as how you both felt with Carrie D. Schmidt and Wednesday right. Wars? Is this just, is he a one-hit wonder? Right. I, I thought the same thing about Jennifer Nielsen. Is this a one-hit wonder, or can she maintain right. this? So I read some more. I assume you've That's read some more. That's where I was more. going. <laughs> Yeah. So I, in the hotel, (laughs) I started and then I decided to stop Lines of Courage, which was also a very unexpected setting. Um, But I stopped because when I got home, my Jennifer Nielsen thrift book order had arrived (laughs) and my son Jack was saying, Mom, I want to read A Night Divided. Can you please preview it so I can read it? I'm like, Okay, yes. I'll, I'll stop Line of Courage in order to go read A Night Divided. And that one is about, because um, Bo, all of my kids say, we've studied so much about World War II, Mom, but we've never studied anything about the Berlin Wall. And to be, right. this one, to be in a family who is divided because dad and son happen to not be home the day the wall goes up. And now this family is split down the middle, half living in East and half living in West Germany. And that I'm only, I'm only about uh, eight chapters in, so we'll see. But it's, it's also very, very compelling, really different in terms of story, but style continues to be really, really 
wonderful. I haven't met any good adults yet in this one, though. But going back to Words on Fire, I'm sure they will be there. I'm, I'm positive they will. Yeah. But going back to Words on Fire, I just want to go back to what you were saying about the adults. This is such a key ingredient, mamas. If you're looking at YA books and adults are portrayed as either unnecessary or evil or other negative things, this is not a book you need in your child's mind and heart. These are books that are simply designed to sow more rebellion in your child. Instead, this book, Words on Fire, Tanya and I both said, literally, we were texting at exactly the same time. So as one was typing, or we were both typing at the same time, and our text came through passing. It feels like (laughs) Alta Halverson Seymour. It felt like Tangled Skein or Fjord or Toward Morning to see these teenagers living in a scenario, wartime, where they are required to still be kids, but do the work that only adult, that, that adults have to do. And in Words on Fire, it was clear that they did not, the, the older generation does not want the younger generation to die. They need the younger generation to live because they need them to become leaders of the resistance. So they cannot martyr themselves because they're being emotional or brash. And so you end up having this incredible, accurate tension between older men and women who know the cost of what they're doing in the smuggling of books or in the the resistance work. They know what could be lost. And they know that these young people are the only ones who can physically do some of this, but they want them to do as little as humanly possible because they want them to live long enough to be able to take the torch from them when they do fall. That is hard stuff. And it is done so brilliantly because when the teenagers disagree with the adults and defy them, it's not meant disrespectfully. It's not meant we know better than you. It's meant of, we don't want you to die either. And it's it's very much the kinds of questions that come up in these kinds of situations. And I think everybody behaves appropriately and virtuously. Yeah. And you know what else? I think I felt that it was showing the ages appropriately. So the adults saw a large picture. Yes. They saw that this too shall end and there's a future ahead. Yes. And so they're they're looking with different eyes where the youth are looking with the eyes of youth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're looking in the here and now. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at what what must be done now. And and I think at some level, yes, of course they're looking to the future, but they don't have enough experience and they don't have enough awareness to really fear their own mortality. Yes. Yet. I, you know, a lot of youth just think that happens to other people, I'm gonna live forever. Yes. Or and so that interplay, or they've already lost everybody they're related to, and right. so they think my life right. doesn't matter. I don't have parents anymore. I don't have siblings. I don't have anybody to look out for me. So what is the cost? And the older people are saying, "No, no, you still don't understand. Your life has infinite value." Yeah, yeah. I think it's so fascinating that we both saw Alta Halverson Seymour in the writings. Yeah. I also, especially, and you haven't read this one yet, saw in Rescue, yeah. which I think the reason why resistance gets a little bit heavier because it's a little bit older teenagers and it's really speaking to true events of these 
kids sneaking into the ghettos in Warsaw during World War II. <sighs> but I find out, I feel that Jennifer Nielsen is very real and very truthful mm-hmm. without being dark or gritty or gruesome. Yes. And that's tricky. Yes. I think. Because she is talking about horrific events. She is talking. Mm-hmm. When, when in Words on Fire, a village is punished for the fact that they, one book is found. So a book is found. So the whole village is going to burn for it. And so they, they, the, the Cossacks are taking all the books and they're throwing them into a bonfire and they're punishing people. Anybody who resists is shot. And so these are really, really heavy events. But it's never told in a way that makes you feel like you can't breathe. It's not told in a way that that makes you feel like you're... Char- I mean, while the characters are in peril, I never felt like the character was about to be... I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. it somehow she strikes just the right note. You, you, It feels like Guernsey and Literary, Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society in that regard. You know the danger is real, but you're so focused on the humanity that that's the theme that you're sitting with, even while these very difficult things are happening around you. Yeah, she doesn't drop you into hopelessness. Never. Mm. Never. So more Mm. Jennifer Nielsen to come. I'm super (laughs) thrilled uh, that you recommended that. And I'm really delighted because one of our podcast listeners is now um, becoming a patron of my library. And she heard you recommend Words on Fire. She herself did a deep dive on Jennifer <laughs> Nielsen. I thought, well, I better get caught up. <laughs> so I am getting caught up. <laughs> and let's just note that right now we've only looked at her historical fiction. Correct. We don't have any thoughts or opinions yet on her fantasy. And don't really have the so bandwidth to go there just yet, but... Right. At some right. point we will. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we're not making any statements about that because we have not read any of that. And yet. fantasy to us is kind of a lower priority anyway. It's not our not our any of our preferred <laughs> genres. Um, and Diane's like, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> not even a little. <laughs> it's one of my favorite genres. I just don't have haven't had a chance to read it very much lately. Oh. So maybe I'll have to pick one well, up. Well, maybe you need to pick one up and just for the good of the podcast, Sarah. Yes. <laughs> Jennifer Nielsen's okay. fantasy. Because <laughs> I'd like to know if is this another series? Is this a series that we could say yes? We love this series for this genre yes. for, for for kids. kids. We want to know. Yeah. yeah. And I will say I don't know. I've intentionally done no research into Jennifer Nielsen at all because I don't want to find out something that's going to make me not like these books. <laughs> um, but I have found that religion is always represented as a good so far in the the three the one book i've finished and the two that i'm partway through i have found that um the understanding of faith is actually noted and noted in a positive way so for parents who might be concerned about that i thought that 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 makes it i don't i wouldn't say these are christian fiction but i would say that these are not hostile to christians okay so there's a lot of stuff I'm reading right now. I am reading Kristen Lavin's daughter as well, um, but I just really wanted to come and report on these YA books that I have really, really loved. And, you know, at the convention this weekend, during the Q&A, one of the moms asked, you know, they, they were asking, 
If you've missed a lot of reading for yourself or if you have tired mommy brain and you just don't like you want to read because you're convicted that you need to read, but you are just not, you just don't have what it takes right now to sit down and read some big tome. Um, is it okay to read children's books? And we emphatically said, yes, yes. Anne of Green Gables is perfect reading when your brain hurts, but you still want to read. Pre-reading for your kids, like so much of what you do, Sarah, it's so good for you. Wouldn't you say, Sarah, that pre-reading is good for you? Yes, definitely. (laughs) If you're reading a good book, a good book is a good book. As C.S. Lewis says, a book for children that is not good for adults is not good for children either. So mamas, it's perfectly okay for you to reach for a teen book if that's where your mind is right now. So Diane, are you reading more Gary D. Schmidt or are you reading anything else right now? I have to admit that so far this month, I haven't read very much. Between trips, not being home, being with a lot of other people and having company, I Mm. haven't read very much since last time we talked. But I did, I started Lizzie Bright and the Buckminster Boy um, Mm -hmm. and was just getting ready to message you and say, I don't, I'm not feeling this one. And you said, yeah, you were about three quarters (laughs) of the way through and finally starting to get it. So, uh, okay, (laughs) I'll finish, but I haven't gotten back to it yet. No worries. (laughs) Well, that's, that's really how you felt about Wednesday Wars too took a long, long time for you to really enjoy the Wednesday Wars. Yes. Even though this one is really completely different, it's it's for a different reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story's not reminding me of that at all. No, no. So we'll just talk about that one again later. Yeah, it's just interesting about the pattern, I think, that he has. You, I find... And maybe I should go back to what came from the stars, because maybe this is just a thing. Maybe it takes a while to get into some of his books. But once you do, I feel like the reward is really there. I'm okay, though, if I don't care what came from the stars. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I have to love all of his. I'm perfectly okay walking away and saying, you know what? I got a lot of stuff to read. Yeah. Yeah. But you'd hate to miss a gem if you felt like this was a pattern. Correct. Correct. I just want to share to what you were speaking to, Diane. I have a thought on that. You were saying you were saying Wednesday Wars. You were stuck inside the head of a 12-year-old boy for a good portion of the book, and it was just really difficult to get through. And then for different reasons, you're finding Lizzie to be a little bit difficult to get into. So I just wanted to share, I read or more accurately listened to the Wednesday Wars on the way to no, Denver. No, no, and no, on no, the way no, back no, 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 no. You just did that thing we spent no. all weekend telling moms not to do. <laughs> you, you read what? it. Just because you were listening to the audiobook doesn't mean you didn't read it. Oh, oh, I see. No, this is this is a key point, okay. though, between the difference between reading and listening. Uh, okay. And so I'm trying to actually make a really good point here. <laughs> so, so so just so I, did, I did read it. The story lives within me. But I was remembering what Diane had said about her experience with it. And we were listening to it because we were in the car and I had my 17-year-old with me. And listening to it, the narrator is so superbly excellent Mm -hmm. that this character comes to Mm -hmm. life. And what I find about Hauling is that if I were just reading it, you know, as a woman in her 40s, I don't want to be in the head of a 12-year-old or 13-year-old boy, frankly. (laughs) Um, 
it's very difficult. But I also have to remind myself that in my church right now, I am teaching the 12 and 13 year old (laughs) kids, boys and girls. And for a while I had about 12 boys and there is something awesome Mm -hmm. and difficult Mm -hmm. about boys of that age. And when I heard Holling telling his story, (laughs) I adored him. He's charismatic. He rolls with the punches. Mm. He's being bullied a little bit, but he lets, he doesn't go into this deep depression Mm. and like, everybody hates me. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes Mm -hmm. me. Guess I'll go eat worms sort of attitude. (laughs) Guess I'll go eat worms. (laughs) (laughs) Did you guys? Yes. That was a thing when I grew up. (laughs) Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. Um, So I just, the charisma of who he is and just his fortitude to stick with it, everything, I just laughed and I cried and we just fell in love with him and with Mm. the story. And it both me and my daughter, we, we just loved it. And especially towards the end, we just, we were so, ah, okay. I can't even think of the words, but I thought had I read it, I think I potentially, I think I would have still loved it at the end. I just think it would have been more how Diane experienced it, which is I might not have been able to hear the charisma as I was reading it. I might not have been able to fall in love with Hauling the way I fell in love with Hauling through the narration. So um, we we went ahead and bought Okay for Now and is it just, just like, like that? that? Or so we're going to read those because we just can't stop. We just loved it. So, we just can't stop. You, and yeah. then you have to go read Hercules Beale because that's we the grown that up too. Danny Huffer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was telling Kira that and I was trying to figure out which one it was because we fell in love with Danny. Right. And so we were like, okay, we're just, we're going to have a thing now. So I just, I think it's maybe important to to consider when with some of these books, especially if you're a mom, maybe you might want to listen to it. It might just give you just enough of a perspective to see the humanity of who he is and not just the, okay, a 12-year-old boy can be a challenge. Because <laughs> it can, right? Well, they're, they're- and this is an interesting point you're making too, because I think So this weekend at the convention, so many women said to us, well, I don't read. I just listen to audiobooks. We're like, no, 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 no. That that is reading. And there's there's a lot of culture that says there isn't. And I think that when we are talking about reading in this podcast and in the work that we all do, we can understand that what we're talking about is story. Now, if we are talking about literature for its writing value, that may or may not translate into great audiobooks. I mean, Frankenstein does, Pride and Prejudice does, but maybe not all of it does. And so there is a difference between reading literature for its literary value in your eyes, but there's also the power of story, which far precedes literature. Humankind has been sitting around the fire sharing stories since the very beginning. So the power of story is not somehow less if it is heard versus read. The story is still the story. And if the story is told correctly, it can be soul stirring, whether it's read or heard. And some books, like I think you're making the argument that perhaps Gary D. Schmidt lends himself better to the audio medium than to the to the visual medium. Yeah. And just as an example, I when Diane was sharing that, I had that same feeling for everything sad is untrue. Mm. And by the time I got to the end of that book, it was it's so powerful. So I said to Kira, 
as we're driving, let's go ahead and get everything sad is untrue on Audible. Mm-hmm. It's narrated by the author. author. Mm-hmm. And and I said, okay, let's listen to it. So I intend on listening. So I'm going to do a reread, Yay. but it'll be a read and a listen <laughs> because I want to see what comes forth through his emotion of sharing the story. If I would feel differently, because again, I felt exactly like Diane with that book. I It was a little, it was quite drudgery being in a teenage boy's mind and his experiences until about three quarters of the way through the book, where then I started to see things tie together. Yes. Um and it'll be, I'll be curious. I'll be coming back to, to talk about that one. So I just thought it was an interesting – it's just an interesting aspect yeah. of these particular stories. Well, yeah. and Diane and I are getting ready to start just like that. We're going to be big girls oh. and do it. <laughs> well, Diane, you look like you were going to say something. Okay. Oh, well, you mean like since it was my yes. turn. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Yes>. Well, I'm <laughs> – well, we're trying yeah. to stay on point yes, right. to our and, idea. And, and in response to that, I want to re- <laughs> defend Wednesday Wars a little bit because a lot of it was just where I was. What was happening mm. in my life mm. at the time. I'm just going, I don't really have time for this right now. And so <laughs> that's part of the reason. It wasn't that it was a bad story or that it was only because this is a teenage boy. It was also just a season. So we have to admit those and say... Yes. That's I can't do that right now and that's okay. Right. But then the other part of right. that was the reason I came back was because of my reading buddy. And so <laughs> we can encourage each other too. If you had said, "Oh well, yeah, it wasn't really that great," I'd have just dumped it. But I had said I would right. read it because you loved it and a lot of people that you agree with loved it. And so you know, I went back and got something out of it. So I think that's important too to remember is that that's one of the things that we can do for each other so that we don't miss good stuff. Yes. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's, again, why these these relationships with each other are so important. Yes. So one of the things I do just to mm-hmm. relax my brain when it's time to go to sleep is read stuff that doesn't really matter. And Sarah has said that she doesn't like to waste her reading, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I put on my Kindle things that you can't really get anywhere else, but that I want to do um, sort of research. And I said last time that I was reading uh, Ruth Fielding, which was mentioned yeah. in Girl Sleuth as something that was popular in the uh, early 1900s, I guess it was. And that, okay, I get it. She's sweet. Stuff will happen. I'm not that excited about going on. So I decided to check out um, Augusta Hewell Seaman and her mysteries. And I'm in the middle of the mm-hmm. third one and just kind of going, okay. <laughs> it's all right that there's a pattern. Yeah. She has different um, characters each time, but there's kind of a pattern of two girls who are really good friends and one of them is so quick to find all the clues and say to the other one, I don't know how you missed that. And the other one's going, golly, I just don't think the way you do, even though we're really good friends. And (laughs) (laughs) the other pattern is that we must not tell the adults. Yeah, that's concerning. And I find that so interesting for that time period because Mm -hmm. the one I'm reading right now is in Mm -hmm. 1915. And here are these two girls who've been friends all their lives, their neighbors, they, you know, their parents know each other and all of that. And from the very beginning, we can't tell anyone. 
and and this right. has been the case in all three of the books that I picked up so far. So I'm I won't read any more because part of my purpose is to find out are there some of these really old books that are worth going back and and digging up and recommending. And for that reason, I wouldn't do it, which is really sad right. because I think they could be fun. Yeah, such mm -hmm. a strange inclusion mm -hmm. there that that's how that is. Right, that sounds like but the trend also... of 100 years later. Yes, exa exactly. Well said. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. So you're wasting your reading. I, I am. <laughs> <Just using that. laughs> well, I did something for you that now you don't have to do. <laughs> Why, thank you. That is so great of you. Everybody needs a friend who's willing to, to read the bad stuff for them so they don't have to. <laughs> right. Yep. Take one for the team. <laughs> you also need a friend who's driving on a busy Sunday morning and says, what? There's a bookstore there? <laughs> yes, you do. And who then everybody <gasps> takes their, there was an inhaling of their breath. And then there was a hard pulling on the steering wheel. <laughs> Going that way. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I couldn't have picked no. us a better bookstore. No, you could No, that. It fell in our lap, and it was a brilliant, beautiful, perfect yes, store to it stop It was. <laughs> and he was like, wow, these people actually have taste. Yeah, what are you guys all doing <laughs> here? I wish they would come back. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, if we were local, we probably would have quibbled over those prices a little bit. You'd just be glad that we're one and done. <laughs> oh. One of the others I picked up on my uh, Kindle was an Oliver Optic, because he was also mentioned in, in the... Um, Girl Sleuth. And I had never heard of that. Mm. And he has a lot. Look I at me with my raised you. eyebrows. He has a lot of books. <laughs> and so I put one of those on my Kindle and was trying to get through it. And it, it's called Taken by the Enemy. And, and he has a bunch of series. And I think more than one of them is about the Civil War. But this one is in the Blue and the Gray Afloat series. <laughs> okay. Mm. So... <laughs> I thought, well, oh, okay. These were written for boys probably. Let's see if these are any good. And I'm kind of going okay mm. very intense very <laughs> patriotic i'm so proud of you and you're wonderful but i don't want you to die and i'm gonna go rescue my brother because i'm sure he needs help and i'm pretty sure he's gonna get there and find out that they're on opposite sides of the war but anyway right. I, I kind of i'll probably finish it but it's gonna be tough <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for taking one for the team. Yeah, so, but you guys mentioned that the other day and I, and like you had been talking about it or something. So I wanted to hear what you had to say about that. Well, yes, because I think Louisa May Alcott agrees with your disdain yes, for Oliver Optic. Mm -hmm. 100% yes. she does. Mm -hmm. In Eight Cousins, Sarah's grabbing it off her shelf right now. <laughs> Find, Find the, the quote. quote. <laughs> <laughs> she discusses these books for boys that are being published that are all just Pot boilers. I can't remember how she describes. I mean, she doesn't them. say pot. Yeah. that's what she describes. Joe's writing, uh -huh. and, you know. But I, I, the the only word the word I kept coming up to describe it was overwrought, and, and just and breathless. Mm. If it stays that way the whole time, that doesn't seem. It's almost like um, some of the books that my kids were reading when I was teaching, that were just it was like computer games on paper, never never stops. Yeah, Sarah and I were discussing it one day because she doesn't name the author, I don't think. She doesn't, but it, but she does say, let's see, I've read about them, Jordy, and though they are better than the others, I'm not satisfied with these 
optical delusions, as I call them. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go back up to the start of it, though. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, let's see. So this is in Eight Cousins, the chapter called Good Bargains. And this is Aunt Jessie, who is the most reasonable of the ants. And she says, you have just shown us one of their chief evils, and that is slang. Answered their mother quickly. Must have it, ma'am. If these chaps talked all right, there'd be no fun in them, protested Will. A blue black mustn't use good grammar, and a newsboy must swear a little, or he wouldn't be natural, explained Geordie, both boys ready to fight gallantly for their favorites. But my sons are neither boot blacks nor newsboys, and I object to hearing them use such words as screamer, bully, and buster. In fact, I fail to see the advantage of writing books about such people unless it is done in a very different way. I cannot think that they will help to refine the ragamuffins if they read them, and I am sure they can do no good to the better class of boys who through these books are introduced to police courts, counterfeiters' dens, gambling houses, drinking saloons, and all sorts of low life. Some of them sort are about first-rate boys, mother, and they have to go to sea and study and sail around the world, having great larks all the way. I have read about them, Geordie. And though they are better than the others, I'm not satisfied with these optical delusions, as I call them. Now I put it to you, boys. Is it natural for lads from 15 to 18 to command ships, defeat pirates, outwit smugglers, and so cover themselves with glory that Admiral Farragut invites them to dinner, saying, Noble boy, you are an honor to your country. Or, if the hero is in the army, he has a hairbreadth escapes and adventures enough in one small volume to turn his hair white. And, in the way he goes to Washington at the express desire of president or commander-in-chief to be promoted to no end of stars and bars. Even if the hero is merely an honest boy trying to get his living, he's not permitted to do so in a natural way, by hard work and years of patient effort, but is suddenly adopted by a millionaire <laughs> whose pocketbook he has returned. Or a rich uncle appears from sea just in the nick of time. Or the remarkable boy earns a few dollars, speculates in peanuts and neckties, and grows rich so rapidly that Sinbad in the Diamond Valley is a pauper compared to him. Isn't it so, boys? Well, the fellows in these books are mighty lucky and very smart, I must say, answered Will, surveying an illustration on the open page before him, where a small but virtuous youth is upsetting a tipsy giant in a barroom, and under it, in the elegant description, Dick Dauntless punches the head of Sam Soaker. <laughs> it gives boys such wrong ideas of life and business, shows them so much evil and vulgarity that they need not know about, and makes the one success worth having a fortune, a lord's daughter, or some worldly honor, often not worth the time it takes to win. It does seem to me that someone might write stories that should be lively, natural, and helpful. Tales in which the English should be good, the morals pure, and the characters such as we can love in spite of the faults that all may have. I can't bear to see such crowds of eager little fellows at libraries reading such trash, weak when it is not wicked, <laughs> and totally unfit to feed the hungry minds that feast on it for want of something better. There. My lecture is done. Now I should like to hear what you gentlemen have to say. 
and Aunt Jessie subsided <laughs> with a pretty flush on the face that was full of motherly anxiety for her boys. No. The part where she says these young boys have uh, like a rich mentor that takes care of them and they the kind of do a fortune yeah. or a rich uncle, yeah. the millionaire. Mm-hmm. That's Horatio mm-hmm. Alger. Correct. Books. So you and I thought it was Oliver Optic Horatio and Horatio Alger. Alger she was discussing. Yes. Well, um, one of the boy version of the pot boilers. <laughs> one of the clues mm-hmm. when you look up Oliver Oliver Optic and what how many books he read is that there are dozens, if not scores. I didn't count right. them or look to see how many, but as I would say about anyone today, turning out that many books, mm, can they be really good quality that- if you write one or two a year? And that's what makes Stephen Meter really unique. He did turn out a lot, but it took him 60 years to do it, and they're all really excellent, or at least mostly excellent. But, right, that's that's an exception, not a rule. Hence why we were laughing over Keeper of the Lost Cities, book eight. Book eight and a half. <laughs> well, and speaking of pot boilers, I was looking for something to listen to on my way to Denver, <laughs> And I thought, oh, oh, so you needed a pot boiler. No, I, I needed a book <laughs> of some kind. And I saw, I was looking for, um, I usually grab an Ann Perry mystery because they're, they'll keep my attention, but I, I've noticed that I don't really care how they end <laughs> because if I don't, if I don't finish them by the time I get home, I probably won't ever because I don't listen to things at home. But anyway, I saw King Solomon's Mine on the shelf. And thought, oh, I've I have that, and I've wondered about it, but I haven't ever really been able to get into it. And I'll okay, so I'll grab that one, and I put that in. And I was just going, I, I don't think I can do this because it was done by Aww. a radio theater, so all the characters have voices, which is fine, except that one of them is an old old witch, and you have to listen to this for minutes at a time. Oh my! And one oh of them. <laughs> Is a native who talks like this. So it takes forever to find out what he's going to say. (laughs) (laughs) So I got, I don't know what chapter I was on. And I said, Anne Perry, here I come. (laughs) I cannot do this all the way home. (laughs) That's hilarious. Those are my stories. (laughs) (laughs) all right tanya warned us in advance that days ago she teased us with the idea that she has something sensational to say so we are looking forward to it tanya (laughs) you used the word sensational on purpose since we were just talking about pot boilers (laughs) yes i did (laughs) okay well first i did read wednesday wars and we discussed that so Definitely looking forward to more Gary D. Schmidt conversation in the future. I had a second thing to discuss, but I'm going to skip that for a second (laughs) to come to the sensational thing I have to say. Are you sitting down? Oh, you are. Yes, we are. You can see that. Thank you. So, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Just making sure everyone knows they're sitting down in case we hear, like, all of a sudden this just ends because I've been kicked out of the group. Should I put put my finger over the button to eject you from the conversation? (laughs) I know, right? And she's been yep, removed. Done. Um, yeah. So I recently am considering joining an in-person book group. And the book they're reading for August is Little Men. Yay! Which I've never read. What? I know. Don't kick me oh, out. I know. The whole thing is like, plump oh, mom. You fraud. <laughs> you fraud. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> 
oh my gosh, I should join this yes. group and get this book get this read rectified. because I've been keeping it on the down low <laughs> that the very name of the podcast episode and I haven't read that book. <laughs> so I've been reading it. I have the Illustrated Junior Library edition. Which, which you hate because it always has the picture no. of when they happen in the story. Right. I do hate that. The book plates are misplaced yeah. in these yes. books. It's maddening. But they're gorgeous. But the book plates are right. gorgeous. And yes, especially this edition. They're just mm-hmm. gorgeous. I really, I Yay. love it. You guys, I well, love it. It's so I hope so because you're kind of a part of it. Because <laughs> I'd be kicked out. <laughs> we were just really naughty getting Nan. to like you. So. <laughs> I know, right? We can start calling her Naughty Nan now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I will be excited to discuss it further once I've finished it, but it's just beautiful and lovely. And again, it's boys. boys. It's just these, yeah. yes, it's these boys. And we've just been reading some boy books. And I, like I said, I'm teaching boys right now and I just, it's fun. It's really fun. And so do you think our choice of the use of the word Plumfield is appropriate now that you have a better yeah, understanding I love of it, it right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So then just the second thing, and I'm hoping that maybe we'll dig into this in another episode, mm. um, but I've been really thinking about what makes literature literature mm. versus just story. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes something a classic? Mm-hmm. What makes something an adult classic? What makes something a children's classic? Right. And a lot of times people say, you know, it passes the test of time. Yes. And I've been thinking about that, but I've also been thinking about, but who is it that makes sure that it continues? Like Dalmatians. Because I- Like Dalmatians that Well, so lost. I've been thinking about yeah. Dalmatians. It's lost. And and so what happened was we read it. It's amazing. We've talked mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. So I decided I'm going to go ahead and just reread it to Ava. So I have done a second read yeah. just this last month, and I read it out loud to Ava. And the second read for me- I saw so much truth, eternal truth, flowing through the story in various chapters, um, especially when they go to the church, Mm -hmm. especially towards the end with what I perceived as the writing speaks to the redemption of Hell Hall. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't, I mean, I saw it the first time, Mm -hmm. but I was also still experiencing everything else that I loved about the story. The second time, I just this this underneath layer came up and just almost just smacked me in the face and i thought this is a classic this is a children's classic there is a reason it was chosen to be made into film an adaptation but you know there in order for something to pass the test of time there have to be people that are consistently discussing it and talking about it and I think there's maybe gems that could be considered classics that have just been lost because someone, and again, I don't know who these people are that make these decisions on how we decide something is a classic. Um, Because I've also read classics that I feel like are Mm -hmm. garbage, frankly. Mary Poppins. So um, Mary Poppins doesn't deserve, Mary Poppins does not deserve, yes, Peter Pan. These books do not deserve the pride of place that they have when Alta Halverson Seymour is completely unknown to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm just I'm just considering that. And I'm considering besides time, what and the writing quality, what else is happening in the story that speaks to all people that says this classic 
is for everyone because of the truths that it speaks. It doesn't matter who the characters mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. These are these are these are it's truth right. being told in this story. And so you can even relate to a dog. Yes, you can. <laughs> you can you can connect right? with Pongo. You know, it's so interesting because when mm-hmm. we did the teen book club conversation at the conference, I had said something about Dalmatians that we had done Dalmatians. And one of the moms raised her hands and said, "For teenagers?" And I said, yes. Mm-hmm. And they, everybody in the room was a little shocked, except for there were a couple of moms who were nodding vigorously, like, yeah, they knew they were inside the secret on that one. Cause, cause they knew you've, once you've read it, you understand. And I said, do you, I said, you would be, your mind would be blown if you had been sitting in my book club with teenagers who were able to present genuine ethical dilemmas that they perceived in this text with nuanced answers. You know, when Pongo and Mrs. Uh, dogs are kidnapped. This is clear case of theft. But all the other dogs that Cruella DeVille has, she purchased lawfully. They are her lawful property. And she has the right to do with them whatever she wants, including growing them, fattening up, and then killing them to skin them. This is the law protects that. And so just the fact that this book asks questions like that and doesn't give you this quick and dirty answer, but rather one that makes you really say, well, what is, what is the law? How, how, how are we supposed to connect to the law on this? How do we fix a law if it's a bad law? What makes it a bad law? A question like that alone, to me, speaks to the compelling nature of a classic, that a classic challenges you in that way. Well, and I, I think, I don't remember if I said in my review of that one or some of the other animal books that I was talking about a few years back, I read a lot of animal stories when I was a kid, but I felt like yeah. one of the things that drew me to them was the virtue in them that often was not mm-hmm. in people. So the real people in my mm-hmm. life were not expressing that. So it was easier to find it in dogs and horses because they yeah. don't disappoint you. <laughs> no, and they do. They behave consistent mm-hmm. to their to their kind. Yes, but they're still they're capable of heroism and love. And I think that mm-hmm. those are some of the things that need to be in classics that involve people as well, is that there is a virtue that we want to emulate or wish that other, you know, the people around us would do. And we learn something by the end that's that's applicable through all decades and centuries. Right, right, absolutely. So at the very end of the book, there's just one paragraph that I kind of just breezed over, I noticed it mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, yes, I like mm-hmm. that. But the second time I thought, oh, that's powerful. So what it says is, but during the many happy hours, the cad pig was to sit watching it in the warm kitchen. She never liked it quite so much as that other television, that still silent television she had seen on Christmas Eve when the puppies had rested so peacefully in the strange lofty building. She often remembered that building and wondered who owned it. Someone very kind, she was sure, for in front of every one of the many seats, there had been a little carpet-eared, puppy-sized dog bed. (laughs) And what she's referring here is the time they entered the Mm -hmm. church, and there was essentially a nativity Mm -hmm. scene. And she sat staring at this nativity scene and was more enthralled by it, Mm -hmm. this still scene, than by the television. And that's the end of the story. Yeah. I, there is so much here and, and that they felt like the church was 
absolutely appropriate and a place meant for dogs to. And that's why they had dog beds in the pews. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and, and in essence, it means it's for us too, because we, the dogs can be mirrors absolutely. for us. Yeah. Yeah. They can. Yeah. I just, anyway, so there's a lot there. I recommend moms really, and maybe we'll get into this more in the future. Yeah. Just there is so much goodness, truth, and beauty in this story. And I think when I think back for the, over the last 10 years, when Diane and I have been reviewing things, we've been often saying, well, we don't want to make a prediction about whether or not this will be a classic. But I think we've changed our mind on mm-hmm. that in recent years, Diane. I think you and I have gotten better at saying, who knows, but this one ought to be. There are these transcendental values that are expressed in such a way that this one ought to be considered a classic. Right. And but then there, the aspect that Sarah, that Tanya's bringing up is that who's going to make sure everybody knows about it? How did those books keep ending up on lists? Because some of them are not good. No, they're not good. And that is why we are here. And that is why lending libraries are so important. Because we cannot let culture kill the good ones. We cannot let a politically motivated American Library Association make determines about values that don't even resonate with the vast majority of people. We we need to protect the classics and those that should be classics. We need to protect those. And the way we protect them is by reading them, talking about them, stocking them in our libraries, encouraging lending librarians everywhere to stock them, and encouraging mamas to acquire them as they can afford them and preserve them for their own. So I did want to share a picture book, but I feel like we're out of time. So I can share this next month if you don't let me forget because it's super important. It's a modern picture book that I was adding to BiblioGuides because it was recommended by both Sherry Early with her picture book preschool and Heritage Mom. And it's so darling. I'm going to purchase it. Okay, so Tanya, we, according to my clock, have been talking for an hour and 24 minutes. By the time we edit this, it'll be a little bit shorter than that. But yeah, we're over time. So let's do this. Let's use that as a teaser. Friends, next month, Tanya's going to come and tell us why she loves this picture book so much. But if you're dying to know, check the show notes because we have linked it there. So spoiler, it's in the the show notes. (laughs) Otherwise, otherwise look for it next month. Tanya and Sarah, thank you so much for being here. This time, sometimes it's not easy to work out the timing, but we did it and it's always worth it. It is always worth it. Friends, it is a privilege that you let us into your homes or cars or wherever and however you're listening. It is truly a privilege. We love to be able to do this. Uh, We're going to do it no matter what, but it's a lot more fun knowing that you're listening in and we really genuinely welcome you to join us on Facebook or Instagram or our one of our favorite places where we can actually have more meaningful discussion is we'd love to chat with you in the BiblioGuides online community, which is a mighty network. Come find us over there. Don't be afraid to tag us and reach out that you do us an honor and a compliment when you do that. We are eager to know what you think. And if there are books that you think would connect well with what we're talking about, we'd love to hear that too. So thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us. And uh, until next time, friends. 